Hey, this is Jeff Davis. You're listening to Not Another Teen Wolf podcast, my favorite podcast in the world. Welcome back to Not Another Teen Wolf podcast. This is episode 143. Oh my god, we're getting so close to 150, which is weird. Um, so this is our first post-season uh, 6A episode. This is our first hiatus episode. Looking forward to 6B and beyond um, the final 10 episodes of Teen Wolf um, and, and what we might see there. So I'm one of your hosts, Natalie. I'm joined by my beautiful and wonderful friend Karen who is the other host of Not Another Teen Wolf podcast and I am doing our rambling introduction today because a lot of the episodes <laughs> during the season we were recording when it was very early in the morning for me and I did not have the energy to be the first person on the call being peppy but today here I am uh saying hello to you guys before Karen does so hello Karen <laughs> Hi. I mean, feel free to always introduce me as beautiful and wonderful. Okay. I love that. Yeah. So here we are. Um, We're going to talk today about um, Season 6B coming up. Obviously, there's, you know, a a lot to think about with where the season could go given the end of 6A, but we also have some words directly from the man Jeff Davis himself um, to, to go through um, who spoke to us. Well, I say us, I mean Karen. Uh, he, he spoke to Karen straight straight after the episode and, and we have some, some content to analyse here from him. Uh, so if you want to get in touch with us uh, to talk about what's said here or just, you know, to talk about the season or anything you like, you can reach us on our... Um, all of our social media. So first of all, um, we, as another Teen Wolf podcast, we share our social media um, as a hub for the podcasts that Karen and I have kind of invented as NATW podcasts. So a lot of this is going to be shared with our side project, Not About the Weather, which is a much more general interest podcast, um, which is sort of going to fill the gap of our podcasting needs once Teen Wolf leaves us forever. Sorry, Downer. Downer. NATW Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook, like slash NATW Podcast, and even our Gmail, NATW Podcast. You can reach us there about this show and about Not Another Weather. We have a specific um, homepage for this show, which is not another teen wolf podcast.com which you can follow as a tumblr account and see all our original posts on there of the episodes um and that's how you can reach us you can also find the podcast on hyperball because we are a hyperball partnered podcast and you can leave comments on karen's news articles there or on the podcast page there as well so that is us and where you can find us so we're going to talk just about Jeff's interview today. As production goes on with the season um, of season 6B, we might come back and do another episode of like, oh my God, big news about what's just been seen filming or something like that. There has been a couple of moments like that already, which are not so, they're not so publicly obvious that I don't feel comfortable talking about them on the podcast, but if they become more publicly obvious... I can't even begin, um, and I'm not even talking about stuff that we've we've known from from a source or anything like that. There's just some some unsourced rumors from the fandom that look pretty likely and 
I really... So, are we not talking about them? Oh, are, are we not? Are we or are we not? I thought we were... Did you put I it... I was going... Okay, I was going to put a blanket spoiler warning on this because, I mean, Jeff's interview, like, it's... That's not a spoiler to me because it's what he's been saying and yep. it's not anything that gives away too much. There are a couple of things that we learned that I thought maybe not okay. through our sources on the internet, other people. As in just delving for information. Okay, we yeah. can talk about it. And if, as long as it's got the disclaimer that this is not our information, we are not spilling secrets that have been told no. to us. Just so that's very, very clear. This is us playing in fandom as participants and finding stuff from other fans. So not yes. not leaking any Jeff secrets or any anything like that. So yeah. you can you can but be in I, charge of that. <laughs> yeah. The couple of things that I wanted to mention, I think people will appreciate knowing. Sorry. So I'm just gonna say if you're really anti spoiler, like just turn away now. Are we gonna do that first? No, it's going to go in line with some of the things okay. that we'll discuss. All right. So we are going to, to mention those those things that have sort of been seen. Yeah. Okay. All right. I thought we weren't going to, but I'm happy to I'm happy to talk about it if we're going to talk okay. about it. <laughs> so um, and it is all speculation still. So I mean, grain of salt kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. You know. So all right. when did you speak to Jeff exactly? Was it was it after the episode aired or was it before the episode aired? It was before the episode aired. We got a screener for the finale and I had a call with him either that day or the day before that it was actually supposed to air and got to ask him all those questions knowing that I'd put up the interview after the finale aired, which is always nice when you can talk sort of like candidly about what's happened, knowing that like it, it does have an embargo, which is fine because it takes you some time to transcribe it anyway. But um, being able to op openly ask him about the finale and what's coming next is always very exciting. Just out of curiosity, when they set up that up for you, like via MTV or, or whoever sets that up for you, do you have to do it on your phone or does he come on Skype? Cause he comes on Skype to talk to us for the podcast. They call me on my phone. Oh, so they, they set it up as like an official yeah. phone. They're not like, well, you can just go and, 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 and get in contact with him. No. Yeah. No, MTV is sort of like the hub. And then they they connect with Jeff and they connect with me. And then they like it goes through them. Mm. So I get a call from MTV and then Jeff comes on the line and then we talk. It's so weird. I and mean, they're just sort of sitting in the background, which always kind of freaks me out. But. Yeah. <laughs> It's so, I mean, it's no, no, it's nice, but it's weird because we, if we wanted, to, <laughs> it's literally, like sorry to be that guy, but you could literally pick up your phone and call him on his direct number <laughs> if you wanted to, as opposed I to would not do that. no, no, you wouldn't, but as opposed to like the rigmarole of that, I understand the circumstance, of course. It's just a funny roundabout way to set up two people who already have another line of private contact. Yeah. <laughs> Because obviously Jeff has been on this show before. He's been on Skype with us and email and even at Comic-Con, like, we, like, text to meet up and stuff. So that sounds so wanky, but it's been five years and it's just true. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> what? Nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just funny the way that the, the, the stuff works like that with the, um, you know, do, does MTV know that you, like, the, how many journalists in the kind of the press thing 
when they're setting up to do like, okay, he's going to talk to 10 people today. I wonder how many of them they're aware of like, you know, whether he's interviewed by them before or like whether he's actually keen to speak to them or not or anything like that. So there are some people, especially yeah. if you do the con circuit enough times, like you, you recognize the faces and they mm. recognize the faces. And some people do have like an association with some of the people on the cast or the mm. people behind the cameras. So like it's, it's not super common. And I think more often than not, it's sort of like, I don't know you, you don't know me kind of thing, just yeah. a journalist blank face. But, like, there are definitely people who have done it often enough and are supportive enough that it gets their attention. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, so we had this one. It was it was, it was was a nice chat. Um, I assume you had fun. And so we've got some questions that you asked and that he answered and that is going to be what we talk about today. So... Um, how did you want to do this? Are you going to read out the entire transcript of the answer or what, what are we going to do? Are, are we going to be able to put the audio of the call on the end of this episode? No, because I cannot find it. <laughs> really? <laughs> I don't know where it went. Was it on your other computer or something like that? I keep it on a hard drive. So I plugged my hard drive into my new computer and it's just not there. Like I always keep the audio, but for some reason, maybe I deleted it. I don't know. I'm kind I feel of like you wouldn't have, I feel like we need to have another little care. And, but I will uh, look, but I don't think I have the audio. All right. Well, how do you want to, how do you want to talk about the interview? You want to, you wanna want to take it away from here? His, yeah, sure. And I did want to read his entire answers because they're fairly short, so it's not like it's going to be a lot of just dialogue. Would you like but... me to be you and then you can be Jeff? We can reenact the interview. <laughs> I mean, that would be awkward, but let's do it. Okay. So, I'm Karen, everyone. Hi, Jeff. Oh I'm Karen. Remember me? Um... <laughs> Natalie. What? That is not what I sound like. No. Hmm. <laughs> All right. I have slightly more chill than that. So, no, you, 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 at this point, you just say, hi, the Teen Wolf 6A is over and we're going to talk about it or whatever it is that you say. Yeah. So, I love that you can fighter more meek when you're me. So, the season six winter finale felt like a series finale in a lot of ways. Where do you go from here? That's a good question. That's exactly the question we asked ourselves as writers. What other stories do we have to tell? That one last final story. It was sort of inspired by a few current events. We decided to go back to Scott's character to really explore what it's going to mean for Scott to be stepping out into the world as an adult now. And we decided on a theme of being an outsider again and what happens when the supernaturals of Beacon Hills once again become pariahs, once again become feared and possibly hunted. It's very much a backlash season, which is kind of the current climate of hmm. events in the world right now. How did they step forward? We wanted 6A to sort of close the chapter on Scott, Styles, Malia, and Lydia's teenage years and high school years, but now they have a challenge to face as adults. That's really interesting. And the first thing it makes me think is that it's going to be, it's going to become publicly known about the supernatural and that it's going to be like a witch hunt. That's what I'm afraid of too. If you know what I mean, like that the town yeah. is going to become aware and that it is going to be a violent, like exactly what he says, a backlash, a, a, a change in the status quo of society because of the awareness of the supernatural. Which worries me a little bit because the people of Beacon Hills 
although they've been convinced that the supernatural is perhaps something else, if they're at all curious or suspicious, they've got to know that Scott and his pack have saved them. Mm. I mean, they've seen this firsthand. The library scene immediately comes to mind. Mm -hmm. They know that he chased away the beast. So half the town, all the town was now in the, you know, in the land of the, um, the train station with the, um, with the wild hunt. I don't know how much they remember that or not. I don't think they remember it. We discussed that on our last episode when we Mm. did the finale. And I really don't think they necessarily remember that. And like, on the one hand, I get the backlash because you are afraid of what you don't understand and people aren't necessarily going to embrace a teenage werewolf. But on the other <laughs> hand, I would hope that some people would be like, hey, no, this guy saved our lives countless times. Like, I might not have really put it together before, but I can remember, like, this happened and then this went away and everything was fine and, and Scott always seemed to be there. Yeah. So I, maybe there'll be some people who will be on their side and some people who will be, you know, getting their pictures. Yeah, it's, it's almost an interesting throwback to the movie. Do you remember when we watched the Teen Wolf movie? And if for anyone who hasn't yeah. seen it, just, just go and watch it. It's ridiculous. It's not even close to the same realm of, of what has been done with the television show but the, he he basically publicly started being a werewolf like you know on the basketball team and like you had no high stakes at all like there was no big bad or anything like that but everyone knew and then people started like rejecting it and having like quote-unquote racism and stuff like that the fact that they're saying supernaturals being pariahs that means that people have to know about them for them to be a pariah from something, unless it's right. just unless it's just more hunters coming back in, or you know, a government, a sector of the government that knows about them, or something like that. Like for them to be a pariah, there needs to be a public awareness, and so I'm a bit worried about that. Yeah, definitely. But I will say that I like the idea that he's saying this is going to tie into current events because obviously, like, it's not hard to see. You look around, the world's going to shit. And a lot of people are afraid. And the reason why a lot of people are afraid is because minorities are being marginalized and they're being ostracized. And the idea that you can translate that into a supernatural show, I mean, obviously it's been done before. We talked about werewolf legends and what that means and what that was sort of an allegory for. So it makes sense that, once again, it would be used as a metaphor for minorities and outsiders and how society reacts to them. But could it be any more relevant than it is right now? And even though Teen Wolf has never necessarily gotten political, I think the closest they've ever come really is the fact that they don't make homosexuality a thing. And that is very much a statement. But they've never been a statement show and we've talked a long time ago about, you know, Glee versus... Yeah, Kino it's not like a huge metaphorical allegory, you know, right, designed right. to make a message. This is maybe the first time I've heard Jeff say something like that. Right, like, but I'm excited for yeah. it. I think that this is, could be really cool and really impactful, especially for the final season. Mm. And it, it's really interesting because that's actually going around a lot with television at the moment. Like, it's this idea that we can't be complacent, that if we are making art, it has to, all fiction is, all fiction intrinsically exists to teach people a different point of view, to teach people empathy, to teach them a story um, and to understand more about people that are not in their unique perspective. 
all fiction does that in whatever way, you know, whether it's, um, you know, that's what storytelling is. But the next level up in that people are trying to do something for, you know, as a response to the world, as a response to the state of the world, or to help normalise something that people are pushing back against, um, which, as we've said, he did, you know, they've done that with the um, lack of homophobia and racism and stuff like that within the context of, of the Teen Wolf world, that there's never been that kind of prejudice in that society. But more so than that, shows are doing this more in the next, in the last little couple of years because of as a response to the the world like everyone not everyone can get out there and like be you know in the military or be in you know be an activist or even have money to donate or whatever but more and more people are taking their corner of what they do best and using it you know like like it or not and people hate saying this like you putting a gen putting an agenda on it um and i in this case, because I know that these people have, you know, good morals, I, I am for that. But, like, for example, um, uh, there's a comedy, a comedy, very successful black comedy show called Always Sunny in Philadelphia. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, which I have never been a fan of. But they have been – they've had a character on that show that for 10 years has, you know, was introduced as, as a straight and they've just been, like – gay jokes and fag jokes and stuff like that about that character for 10 years. A couple of weeks ago, they outright outed him. They'd be, and they liter- the showrunner literally said that it was, you know, that, that it was done, um, you know, that it was never originally intended. They kind of saw the path to get to it. They weren't sure if that would actually be too serious a matter for the show to handle, but that it became more socially important to do it than to keep running with the jokes, if you know what I mean. And for a show like that, which is such a, like, honestly, like a, a gross comedy show, um, I mean, the grossness is, is part of why it exists. It's meant to be confrontational and make people think about it. But for that to happen, like, that was such a stark moment of, like, people are really using storytelling to push agendas in ways that I very much approve of and honestly like I I feel like that it is needed because yes we had stuff like Glee you know in in that period where people were you know it it very obviously had a, a an agenda of trying to make people feel um or introduce people to circumstances that they'd be more empathetic towards um but like genre shows and stuff it's a bit harder and even comedy it's a bit harder but the fact that they're saying this this book is uh, the sorry that this series is inspired by uh, the current events that the you know that, that it's going to be a metaphor for current events in the world as opposed to just a story in its own right um, isn't something I ever expected from Teen Wolf, but I'm really proud of them for doing it. And it's a great platform to do it. Yeah, I think that the show has already made waves in a lot of ways. It has. Uh, not a lot I mean Teen Wolf has gotten a lot bigger since we started this podcast but it's still generally a pretty small show with a very intense fandom and I think the people who are intensely invested in it will really appreciate the message that they're putting across and like I said great last hurrah for the final season so yeah I'm I'm super excited about it Mm. 
But the other half of what he said here was that 6A also closes the chapter on Scott, Styles, Malia, and Lydia as teenagers and high schoolers, and we're also going to go back to Scott's character, which I think a lot of people are going to appreciate, and explore what it means for Scott to step out into the world as an adult. So this is very much a the last 10 episodes I think are going to be very much a transition and we were always sort of joked like okay are we going to have like adult wolf are we going to have college wolf like how is this going to work and the fact that they're transitioning him into the adult world before we finally do say goodbye makes sense because he's still teen wolf and I would guess by the end of the 10 episodes he's going to be ready to move on he's going to be ready to go to college start a career it's going to show him growing up and once we get to that point where he is a man i mean i think he's very much a man now but when he is a man ready to leave then the show's over it's just it's fitting mm. okay so next question the biggest question on everyone's mind at this point is whether or not dylan o'brien will be in 6b what can you say about that i hate you so much <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can be you and I can be Jeff if you'd prefer. No, I, I much prefer hearing your interpretation of my enthusiasm. <laughs> it's great. Okay. Um, okay. You'll have to wait and see. I can't officially say anything yet. It could be the end of Styles. And is that literally yes. all he said? He was like... Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Jeff, why would you say that? That is so awful. Um, I think, okay, honestly, at this point... I was, you know, wondering if maybe he didn't know, wondering if he really couldn't say. And I, I also wonder if they're trying to play it, you know, kind of close to the chest. I'm not sure. Giant spoiler warning, okay? Apparently, and again, take this with a grain of salt, apparently he has been spotted on set. So I'm going to say it's likely he's coming back in some form, probably quite limited, but it does appear that he will be there. And I hope it's a sprinkling throughout the season, but if it ends up being the final episode, and I feel like my answer on this changes all the time, like initially start off, no, he has to be there for every episode for the final 10 episodes. Honestly, I'd be happy if he's there for the finale and they can have one last hurrah and yeah. send us off in a good, good place. Yeah, I feel like that he might be there for, I, I don't know where they're up to in the set filming, but if he's been there, it might be somewhere in the middle. I don't know. Yeah, apparently he's he has been seen, and apparently there is a video of him by some very creepy person, like as in someone from afar managed to get a video, which I didn't think people stalked the team. Wolf said that intensely, but okay. Um, and... I don't think that he won't be, basically. Like, it, you know, regardless of this alleged evidence, I think that he will be there in some form. He might not be part of the whole story. He might be, you know, doing his pre-FBI summer school or whatever, but I think that he will be there for a couple of episodes um, and that he definitely the finale. I don't feel like, even though season uh, 6A finale felt like a close on him, it really felt like that they finished him, basically finished his story. I do think that they're not just going to be like, huh, he didn't exist, and then close out the whole show without him. I feel like there would just, there'd just be no, like, logical or emotional level in which that would work, and that 
Yeah, it would be a disservice to the fans, but it would be a disservice to the show itself and to Scott's character, too. And yeah. Stiles' character, obviously. Yeah. So I think that he will be there, and apparently he will be there. I mean, I feel like... I feel like if he was seen on set, that he wasn't just there to hang out, if you know what I mean. Like, he, if he can make yeah. time to come be there during filming just to hang out and say hi to people, he can make time to do some scenes. Like, I mean, I know there's a big difference and, like, it takes a day to do a scene sometimes, but you know what I mean. Like, I don't think he was just dropping on by if he was really yeah. seen there. I agree. Uh, so the next question what kinds of mythology and themes can we expect in 6B? You should be doing this in an American accent. I can't. Oh, I can try. Um, oh, hang on. Give me a second. Give me a second. Give me a second. Okay. okay. I usually have to practice it for a second. I haven't done it in years, but I used to be able to do it pretty well. <sighs> okay. I might need a couple of takes. <laughs> What kind of mythology and themes can we expect in 6B? <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> <clears throat> I'll tell you that this 6B season, in terms of horror and in terms of the supernatural, started off with an influence from H.P. Lovecraft. It's a new kind of horror, a definite darkly supernatural horror. That's terrifying. Um, you, yeah, H.P. Lovecraft is one of the classic horror gothic authors. Um, so his, he had a, basically he invented a universe, um, not a universe, but like, um, the Cthulhu, which is a, um, kind of mythology he invented himself or mythological creature he invented himself uh and he wrote a lot of things within that within that universe and a lot of things have been written since then like as kind of like quote unquote fan fiction of that universe if you know what i mean like um uh or like people have written something in the same way that some authors will like write a sort a story set in like sherlock holmes or something like that people have written like cthulhu short stories you know, as other authors. Right. And he, um, Thorlo is like, they were, the, the, the beings themselves were like these ancient deities from space. Um, and they sort of fell into a death sleep and then they come back to life and they look like they have like, um, like tentacle faces like they have like a like kind of a sort of a human shaped body kind of but like with long like a bit like um zoidberg on yeah no kind of a bit like Ood, a bit like zoidberg more tentacles and uh more evil um and there's a lot of different things that he did though lovecraft like he's done like it really could be a lot of a lot of different types of mythology so that's something we can talk about later in the um later in the hiatus is is actually going to lovecraftian mythology and work out what might work for um what might work for teen wolf 
I don't know if we're going to be getting Cthulhu monsters exactly or what he means by if he just means like Lovecraftian in in tone or um or yeah I honestly would love to know more about this so I'm I'm confused I, I definitely got a sense that it's more toned than actually pulling anything from Lovecraft, which makes sense because they don't necessarily pull from literature in the same way that, you know, Once Upon a Time does. So they kind of take like a mythology or or an idea and twist it into their own thing. So maybe we could be seeing something similar to what he's written about. But I definitely think it's more in terms of the horror, the tone, the atmosphere, that it'll be dark, which Teen Wolf is already dark, so, like, what the hell? Like, we're just not going to be able to see anything in 6B. Maybe that's the big joke. But um, I'm excited about this. I've never read Lovecraft, despite the the fact that I have a Cthulhu statue on my bookshelf. Um <laughs> definitely have one of those but I've never read anything so I don't know if we're we were talking before we started recording um we probably will put together an episode about his short stories and and the world that he's built and I guess I'll do some reading for that Mm. should be interesting um so yeah he that's a really interesting thing to to have to expect expected not necessarily something I, I I would have pictured for Jeff, but we'll see. Um, so, all right, next question. Well, this is such a personal question as well. All right. I know I ask you this every time we talk, but I'm going to try my hand at it again. What can you tease us about possible cameos coming up in 6B? <laughs> I'm not that nasally. <laughs> well, I am, so, so so that's how it comes out. Oh, my God. <clears throat> I'll tell you that I had a list of people I wanted to get back, and I got several more than I thought I would. Oh. That's really exciting. Like, I didn't even know what to say to him. I was like, uh, uh, oh, that's awesome. And then I had to move on to the next question because we only had 15 minutes, but I was like, uh please tell me who it is. Um, He didn't. But I will say, again, another massive spoiler. Oh, God, this is big. Yeah. Apparently, Hecklin has also been seen on set with Dylan. Yeah. Yeah. There was was something going around that was allegedly, like, it's, again, it's not us. This is, this is, so so I kind of hate the gossip, but this was another Teen Wolf fan who has some sort of news source had a video yeah video of the two guys together playing like catch like baseball on set and apparently they emailed Jeff apparently this is one of the wikis or something and they have con- and they emailed Jeff asking for that and all his response was like never ceases to amaze me how fans fans find this stuff so oh can you imagine them together in an episode again i'll just die i'll just die it- like, okay, you know, everything out on the table right now. I said from the beginning, and I think when I say the beginning, it was like last week. I don't want to know who the guest stars are because I want to be genuinely surprised. I hope I don't find out anyone else who is coming back before they show up on my screen because I want to be surprised. And guys, I think it'll be so much more fulfilling if we don't know that they're there. And I know that particularly with Dylan, 
it's nice to get confirmation ahead of time because he is sort of the biggest one that everyone was really worried about. And everyone else is going to be, you know, the cherry on top, whereas Dylan's definitely the icing. I Mm. just ran with this cake metaphor. But we kind of needed to know whether or not he was going to be back. So that's fine. I don't want to know anyone else who comes back. I hope that I don't learn that information. That being said, like, I'm very happy that this is happening. And even if it is for just an episode, even if it's just for a scene at the end when people come together, like... I'm just, I'm happy. We what I wanted in the final season. Yeah, I think, and I think Derek is such a big one. Like, I think that he's the only one other one that I would, like, need. Like, as in the, yeah. uh, uh, like, need. Like, that I would want to know for sure and that I would feel ripped off in a way. And not that it's anyone's fault. Like, I mean, it's, you know, agent or it's the show not, I don't think it would ever be the show. Like, there's so many things at play about getting someone back who's left the show for whatever reason but he's the one that I would have felt ripped off emotionally if we'd never seen him again and I am you should have seen the uh, chat group when this came out it was just not okay like it was not okay and I am so happy if this is going to be a thing you know, I, I could also imagine him stopping by for a day to say hi to people, but I still don't necessarily think that's what it was. I think if we're looking at we want people to come back, I got more than I expected, and Hecklin's been seen on set. I think that Derek will be back for an episode, if not more, and I will just cry and cry and cry and cry and cry. This character means so much to me. It is, he's, like, I still love the show and I'm still doing the podcast and I still love, and, like, other characters a lot. Like, Malia is really, like, I I don't know where I'd be right now with covering the show if I didn't have Malia in place of Derek uh, because I love her so much. And I love Scott and Styles and I really do. But Derek's development was something very, very special to me. And I am so thrilled to see where he is again. Like I've said, I feel like he is someone who would always um, have a place in Beacon Hills and that, you know, especially if Scott wants to go off into the world and have a normal life, um, at least for a while, like Derek comes from this family of hereditary werewolves. You know, we don't even have anyone else that was raised like that at the moment, aside from Peter. Um, Malia obviously is from that family but wasn't raised into it. And I feel like that that whole hail guardian of Beacon Hills forever thing that existed before the fire and that Scott then had to pick up the slack of because of all of the mess, Peter, you know, being evil and then Scott getting made into a werewolf, to go back to the status quo of kind of everything being safe and protected because uh, they were the guardians of Beacon Hills, I feel like the Hales need to return to their family castle. And I just, I, I'm so happy. They, I, you know, I hope he's great. I hope he's doing well. I hope he doesn't die. Yeah, and That would be awful. Yeah. Um, and I just love him. And I just, I feel like they're going to do it really well. Oh, they could have the potential to do it really well, like really show us like maybe what's changed about him since we last saw him and, and like, you know, every, you know, I hope that they, I hope they make it clear that like that everyone has been in contact with him or if they haven't, that they make a big deal of why. And, and I'm just so excited, but yeah. Okay. And I know we ask this question a lot 
And I know like Isaac always comes at the top of our list, but I guess the spin on that is who would be the most surprising to have back? Like what minor characters would we like to see? That mm-hmm. might be like inconsequential, but is a cool throwback. I think Jackson. Um, um, what's her face? Morel. Like I was trying to think of her first name, and I couldn't yes. think of her yeah. first name. Um, Jackson. Probably Ethan. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe. Trying to think of who else. If we get Derek, I would like to get Brayden as well. Um, True. Cora. Cora would be my number one request. Cora would be. I feel like there were so many balls dropped with Cora that could have been like a huge, huge thing for the show. That that they, especially like her relationship with Derek being weird. The thing with. You know, well, werewolves, yeah, if you mean in human years, that whole werewolf aging thing, the fact that Peter was like, how can I trust you? You, like, well, you vanished for seven years. Who raised you? You were 12. What the fuck? Like, that, yeah. that is like a, a gold mine. I would love to see more about that. Um, I would love to see the Calaveras hunters, uh, Yvonne McCall, who, uh, Yvonne Call, who played the, um, what was her first yes. name? She's now in Jane the Virgin. She's doing super, super. Like she, she's been a very famous actress for a very long time. But like she's doing really well in Jane the Virgin. Um, yeah. So I would love to see her because I thought she was cool. And Do, you, the Skinwalkers. Oh, you and the Skinwalkers. Where, where is them? So where much. are the, Where are Kate and Gerard right now? That is a good question. God, I hope they kill Gerard. I don't want them, but where are they? Like, you know. Yeah. Um. So, um, I don't know. Like, there's. Who else do we like? Um, or would like to see? Um, Greenberg. Oh. Honestly, like I would. I know we haven't had the joke in a while, but if Greenberg were to show up like, in the final episode or something. Mm. Like, it would be a great... It would just be a great... Characters of Teen Wolf. Let me think. So, who the hell is that? All right. So, list of Teen Wolf characters. Let's have a quick browse, shall we? How about Scott's dad? How about Raph? True. It would be interesting. He exists. Yeah. Um... I don't know. There's lots. Derek is a big one. Isaac is a big one. Jackson's a big one. Um, Cora is a big one. I don't. I don't know who else, man. Um, Allison is obviously dead. Um, I don't know if they could work her back in in some way. Um, Victoria Argent is obviously dead. I would love it if they worked her back in some way, but I don't know how. Um. Uh, so many people that felt like such a big deal at the time, and it's been so many years since we've seen them. Ducalion, yeah. Ducalion, oh, yeah. Karen, Ducalion could come back. Um, and uh, who else? Who else? Who else? Um, I don't know. 
we have we've had so many, but yeah, it's, it's wild. Yeah. Well, anyway, there are lots to choose from. So I, I want to know who's on yeah. Jeff's list. I want to know who he feels like there's yeah. unfinished business. I would not be shocked at all if it was um, Charlie, though, for oh coming, yeah, yeah, coming he back, back because he loves that. Like he's like they hang out. Like I, he would he would be a really good one, I think. So yeah, and I don't know. Lots. Who knows? So carrying on to the next question, um, it's about Macrissa. So let me just get on my Karen voice and, and we'll go ahead with that <laughs> one. So, all right. Pairing Melissa and Chris is a departure from the slow build we've seen over the years between Melissa and Sheriff. What made you guys decide to go in that direction? It wasn't my decision. No, I'm kidding. It's been a favorite pairing in the writer's room, actually, and I've been a bit resistant to it. But once you see their chemistry on screen... And it's fun. I also prefer to take the narrative in unexpected directions. If everybody expects Talinsky and Melissa to get together, is it more interesting to find them a new path? We don't like being predictable here at Teen Wolf. Okay. I mean, that's fair. I was I was a little startled by it. I mean, we've talked about it many times about how, um, you know, why it might work, why it might not work. I don't know. Like, were that many people that hung up on... Sheriff and Melissa getting together that this has ruined their lives? I I mean, ruined their lives, I don't know. Some people probably, yes. But I think when you've... And we've talked before about, you know, whether or not there actually was anything specific on screen. We don't have to go back into that. But I think the majority of the fandom, and especially the actors at conventions and stuff... Yeah, that was a big part playing, of it. Yeah. Playing up to it, you know, I think it is going to be disappointing for some people, but... At the same time, and, like, I love Sheriff and Melissa, but at the same time, you can't deny the chemistry between Chris and Melissa. So it is kind of nice to see it go in a different direction, but my question is, will fans appreciate that unpredictability when they've been invested in the ship for so long? I don't know. I do. I get it. I'm into it. Both the chemistry and the idea that they have come to a new place in their life as opposed to the old baggage, but... I don't know. I just can't wait to see what Scott says. Yeah. <laughs> so now that Stydia is happening, what does this mean for Malia and her relationship with both Styles and Lydia? Complicated. I think Malia will always see Styles as her first love and her first experience with a human romance. In Teen Wolf, we've always been the proponents of you love more than once in life. So we'll have to see. That's nice. It's a good answer. You know, we've talked about this extensively before um, as well, like about what does it mean that, you know, like he liked Lydia and then he went with Melia in the middle of it and now he's back to Lydia. Like how much does Melia care about that kind of thing? How much does like the dating aspect of the relationship actually affect any other part of like how she feels about things or what she cares about? So I feel like I'm okay with it. Again, like, there's a lot of things that we've left it in a place where we haven't got to see the characters' reactions, and I don't know if they'll be, you know, crucial parts of the next season, like those, you know, Malia and Styles hanging out, you know, and being like, hey, so you're dating Lydia now, or, or what will happen? Yeah, and I think one of the things that Teen Wolf does brilliantly that a lot of other shows just don't is that you can love more than once, and 
when you move on, the other people are allowed to move on too. It's not like one of them has to die or necessarily move away. And like, yes, obviously we got that with Allison. Although I think that situation is actually a little different because when Scott was interested in Kira and Allison was still alive, it was this, I'm okay with this. I still love you. But like, I understand that we're kind of moving on sort of thing. And, you know, Allison had Isaac as well. And the idea that Lydia Stiles and Malia can exist in the same friend group and it not be awkward, or even if it is awkward, if they can move past that and continue to be friends, especially Lydia and Malia, like, I really appreciate that. And I think so many other shows amp up the romantic drama when they don't necessarily have to do that. What made you guys decide to definitively make Peter a good guy? Where does he go from here? Fatherhood changes people, and is he definitively a good guy? That remains to be seen, but he definitely has a role in 6B. Part of it is that we just find Ian Bowen such an enjoyable person to work with that we keep bringing him back. No one can sell a line like, no one likes a Nazi, like Ian Bowen. We'll see where he goes, but a lot of it has to do with his relationship to Malia. If he's ever to become a truly good guy, it will really be because of Malia. Which is complicated for her because we see her in the finale kind of resisting reaching out but ultimately doing so. Is she willing to give her father a second chance? Yeah, and that is partially based on Scott's influence because Scott always gives people a second chance where Malia would be perfectly fine saying, fuck it. (laughs) So with this, um, this exchange here about Malia and Peter, it's interesting that he says that, you know, he would become a good guy purely because of Malia, because we've been talking about this on Rewatchable with, like, love changing people, like, and whether the motivation coming, you know, whether if the motivation is because of a personal love, whether it actually is objectively good guy or not, you know, or if it's just, hey, I'm doing this, you know, to be good to that person, not doing, I'm doing this because I'm good morally. So, you know, we were talking about that earlier with Spike and Buffy. Obviously, that's, like, a romantic situation, not a family situation but like we had you know like in Harry Potter like how the Malfoys end up coming through because of their kid you know and as opposed to um you know they you know uh, any moral reasons they choose to help Harry because they want to save Draco Mm -hmm. so what do you feel about that like about if Peter does Peter just does he have any good in him or is it all just like selfish good if not that you know not that loving a family member is selfish but it is more selfish good than than oh i objectively want to save the world i think that you can still be good and not be scott mccall you know i don't think that peter like peter's done some pretty crappy things don't get me wrong like definitely have not forgotten about them but Mm -hmm. i think he's also done some relatively good things and in comparison like that's not the greatest thing to say about a person but especially in six say he was trying was it because of malia yes obviously it was but i think that there's also a difference between actively protecting malia because he loves her and also helping styles because he kind of knows that that's the right thing to do and maybe in the end that is an influence from malia but he could choose to focus solely on malia whereas he is helping the others at the same time and going through a great deal of pain too so i think that peter has a lot of work to do still but i think he's on the right path and if fatherhood is the reason why he's walking down that path like i'm totally into it and i think that 
their relationship is complicated and it's not necessarily on the most solid of ground, but it could potentially get there one day. And I think that that would be good for both of them. Yeah, I I mean, I, I feel like it, it's still going to be worth it. Like, you know, like, of course, like, fa- family love is, is a good thing. And I feel like, again, like, I want the Hales to be all good together, so. Another character who walked a similar path to Peter this season was Theo. What was that like for you guys to turn the tables on what we've seen from him in the past? Theo is kind of a tragic character. He looks like he's had a terrible childhood. We love Cody Christian, and part of what we do is try to figure out who is good together and who creates good conflict and what kind of characters in that dynamic we can explore this season and who's a fan favorite. We love our bad guys here. We love to hate them, but they also bring a certain darkness and cynicism that challenges the good guys in great ways. We wanted to pair Liam and Theo up and see how those two actors play off each other. And is Theo someone who wants redemption or is he always going to go down a dark path? He's just a guy who wanted a pack and he couldn't help but kill people to try to get one. Don't we all just want friends (laughs) in the end? And if a few people die along the way, is that really so bad? I mean, yes, Jeff. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. um, I I like this interpretation of Theo, though, because um, I really... Yeah, there. I feel like you know, if that's just Cody's performance or what, and I think they're giving him stuff really worth doing. Like, that it's not... You know, that that the motivations are really interesting um, and sad and and all sorts of things. So I really, really enjoy it. And I think it's so hard because sometimes you say, well, they're just a victim of circumstance. But there are people who are in the similar circumstances who don't end up being serial killers or child molesters or whatever it is that happens. Yeah. But at the same time, like, can you hold this person responsible given their genetics and their behavior and their exact situation for the way that they've developed and the way they decided to process the world? I don't know. It's, it's a gray area and it's not an easy answer, but I like the idea that Theo will struggle regardless. Like maybe he will walk down a brighter path, but it's always going to be a little hard for him. And I think that's really nice to see on screen. Yeah. I, um, I don't know. I, I, did he say anything about Theo coming back in next season? In six I think the assumption is that he is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this was, what we're reading right now is literally the call transcribed. Oh, okay. So there's no other info, but yeah, my assumption is that he will be back. Cool. All right. Where will Liam's journey to become an alpha of sorts take in, take him from here now that he's much more confident in his leadership skills? Very much stumbling his way into becoming a leader and his insecurity about that as well. There's a new supernatural threat that occurs in Beacon Hills that does prey upon Liam's greatest weakness, which is his own fear and anger. Hmm. That's really interesting because that sounds very psychological to me. And whenever they do something psychological, it it really comes together nicely. Yeah, I I don't know what what that could mean at this point, like what this could, what that could focus on. Um, and you know, whether that would literally be manipulating his mind or whether it would just 
Prey upon the fear and anger. I don't know. I have no idea what, what that could mean. And when you think about Lovecraft being incorporated into that, I wonder if there's something to be, you know, assumed from that. That would take some research, possibly, if they are. I don't know if that'll mean, as I said, something psychological or if that'll be, like, you know, something um, setting him up to fail, you know, or, like, you know, framing him in some way or, you know, like, having him lash out at the others. Like, I don't don't really know. So next question was about Corey. Um, Corey was a surprising MVP this season. What made you guys step up his role so much and where would where does he go from here? Oh boy. <laughs> when we talk about relationships in Teen Wolf, we like seeing good relationships. We like seeing helpful relationships. We were trying to build up Corey and Mason. We built Corey in his introduction as this character who really sort of gets taken advantage of and is weak. We wanted to see him come into his own to find his own power. A lot of growing up in high school is finding your strength and going from an insecure person to someone secure with themselves. Not every character we introduce is a superhero and has control of their powers, like Lydia, or feels as though they can be a hero. So we like to see that growth, and that was one of the things we wanted to do with Michael Johnson's character this season. How does he find his power? How does he find his role and his place? Um, all fair, I guess. I mean, we kind of discussed this in the end of five. Five. We're like, wow, that guy's like, what, like, this kind of sucks. Like, like is he meant Useless. to suck? Like, is, is this yeah. meant to be what's happening? Yes, it was meant to be what's happening. So that's interesting that it wasn't just like, oh, okay, that, like, we're meant to care, but we just don't. No, it was that we, this is a, a by design, which is an interesting thing to tackle. It doesn't really make me like him, but it is an interesting thing to tackle. Makes me like him, but I'm weird. I really like that. (laughs) (laughs) I really like though that he said not every character is a superhero, and I think that's really interesting. We've seen it before with Scott and Styles. Scott gets thrust into the situation; he gains the superpowers, and he becomes a superhero. Styles is very much gung-ho, but he's never had those superpowers. And I think he's a hero in his own right, but he was never going to be Batman, you know? So it's interesting that, again, they're kind of looking at this in another way with somebody else who does have superpowers, but their core personhood is somebody who is a coward. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because it's kept Corey alive throughout some of these events, but he's had to push past this. And I think that does make him a hero, but doesn't necessarily put him on the same level as Scott, but he can still be useful and he can still try. And I think there's a huge difference between trying and failing and never trying at all. Yeah, I mean, sure, he's, I agree. On paper, he still annoys me, but I agree. (laughs) I like you, Corey. I got you back. Sorry, sorry. Will we be seeing much more of the next generation than the original generation, or is it still going to be a balance between Scott, Malia, Lydia, and Styles, and then Liam, Mason, Corey, and Hayden? There's definitely a balance. We started with Scott's character and we really wanted to explore who is Scott on the cusp of adulthood and about to leave Beacon Hills. What does that mean to him and can he ever truly leave? So we started there. See, that's interesting about the can he ever truly leave thing. 
it's really yeah. like that's the whole thing like does he get to go out and have the normal life he always planned to or is because he has that power does that mean he has a responsibility to you know secretly protect everyone again the Hales. this was their job as a hereditary pack of werewolves who knew how to handle this and who knew how to have normal lives and still be like the supernatural protectors of protectors of the town that to me is the ultimate solution here um you know we're, we're not are we just gonna leave it in the hands of Liam like he's 12 and an idiot like um are we just going to you know have you know a teenager from the high school you know every time someone else graduates it's gonna be a new teenager's responsibility as as opposed to you know a setup of actual um you know power and respect and not that Scott doesn't deserve power and respect but you know what I mean like that, you know, there are adults, you know, we saw those gatherings of what Talia Hale used to do with, you know, Deacon and Deucalion before he was blind and, you know, all of these kind of like, hey, we are on like a council, like helping to protect people from supernatural stuff being bad, you know, like there was more adult supervision in the supernatural world before Hale Fire, like at least for Beacon Hills. And that is what I very much feel like it needs to get back. Yeah, I agree. And I think that he took the answer to this question in an interesting direction because I initially pitched this as like, are we going to see Scott and Leah, Lydia, and Styles anymore? Because obviously they hand off the baton to the younger generation and we know that they're getting ready to go off to college. I was, and I know a lot of other fans were concerned that maybe it would focus more on Liam and all of that. Whereas like throughout this interview, he keeps saying, we're going back to Scott. Scott is the core of the show and we're going back to that. And it's going to be a character journey for him. So I'm, I'm really excited that the younger kids are still going to be there, but they're not going to take over the storyline. There was a couple of instances in 6A where like, Not that they took over, but they had their B plot and the other kids had the A plot and they were separate. And that worked and it was good and I like the way that they handled it, but it does give some credence to the concern that maybe this is going, the second half of the season is going to turn into sort of the next generation show. It does not sound like it's going to be like that, and I think yeah, a lot of think, people are going to find that reassuring. I think that would be a weird place to go, like in the back half of the season. Like, maybe yeah, if they were keeping this show going, but I think like that would be a weird place to go, like with the final ten. Like, all right. So this is the last question of the Jeff interview, um, and then we'll come back for another episode at some point to do our own speculation about you know what's happened since this point and, and stuff like that. But this is the last question of this interview and and of what we're going to be talking about today. Using flashbacks in this final season was such a stroke of genius because not only did it fit the storyline, but it allowed fans to look back on how far these characters have come. How difficult was it for you guys to choose which ones to use, and in many cases, what was the deciding factor for choosing the ones you did? That was not good. I used to be able to do it so much better than that. Carry on. I love that you start off normal and then kind of slip into this valley girl, like... (laughs) (laughs) accent it's great 
We look for the most meaningful moments. You might be surprised to know that sometimes it's simply limited. Nobody wants to think it's for technical or contract reasons, but sometimes you're limited by how many episodes you are going to flash back to in this episode and how much does that cost. So just like in Jaws with Spielberg, you find creative freedom with your budgetary limitations, but we were really just looking for the most meaningful moments. Like 609, I was very heavily involved in that, and I knew the moment that was really important was when Scott reaches into the locker in his mind Landscape. What was he going to pull out? To me, it had to be the flair from the Motel California episode. A lot of that was simply picking what are the moments, the writers and creatives behind Teen Wolf, what are we the biggest fans of? What are some of our favorite moments? That's how we choose, really. And this is very interesting to me because he actually puts the cards on the table and says sometimes it's budget sometimes it costs mm-hmm. money to go back and use footage from an episode we've cost before because of you know yeah that's so many so many reasons whether it's the you know production or whether it is like oh you, you, he says contracts like if someone appears in the episode because you're using old footage of them that's a cost as well like right Kira of- appeared in one of the flashbacks yeah so there's all sorts of stuff like that and Teen Wolf has always had interesting budget constraints that they've managed to get around. And a lot of things like choices, like, you know, that happen in a narrative of any show, you know, whether it's a character leaving or dying or whether it's like, oh, why didn't we go, why didn't we get to see them drive from point A to point B? It didn't make any sense. There's so much stuff that, like he says, no one likes to think it's for production reasons, but sometimes it is. It's not like a narrative choice. It's not like they hate that character or they fired that character or whatever. Sometimes it's like we have this situation that we are constrained by behind the scenes and this is how we've been able to work the show around it. And we have always really loved how Team Wolf has done this. Yeah, they've found so many creative ways. You know, all the way back in like season one and two, when we see Peter turn into the alpha werewolf, when we see Derek turn into a werewolf, they've found ways to cover it up that it's it's so much cheaper than using CGI. Yeah. And a lot of the times that looks very purposeful, first of all, but it's also a creative choice. And I think that makes it more interesting than seeing, you know, bad CGI where their faces more. I'd rather see, like, mm-hmm. behind a glass screen or something like that. Yeah. Like, whatever it yeah. is, like, shadow. And it's artistic. Like yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I love it. But I just love that for Jeff, like, there was no question. It had to be the flair from Motel California. And I think for a lot of fans... Maybe it was predictable, but it had to be that. A lot of people guessed that to begin with anyway. It was just what needed to happen, and it yeah. was it was a great moment. Yeah, um, and I, I feel like it was really important as well, and I feel like I would really love what he said about production. Once the show's done, once people can put their cards on the table about the behind the scenes, I would love to talk to some people about, hey, like, tell some secrets about, like, how you got away with stuff for budget. Like, I would really love to to talk to them about that someday. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so that's about everything for this interview. Was there anything particular else you wanted to say? No, I think that pretty much covered it, actually. Cool. Okay, so this was basically our latest little word from Jeff. And um, if Karen does find the file, you'll be able to hear the audio of it. Otherwise, you've got our our beautiful rendition. Uh, it's just some of the thoughts about what he said um, and, and, and moving forward from here with, with the production of 6B. 
Um, please feel free to get in touch if you've got any thoughts about that, about what you're excited about, um, you know, especially some of our big spoiler moments that we, we did mention. And once again, I'd like to say this is not our information that we went and dug for, so it is, it is just fandom information, so please don't kill us for talking about it. Um, we'll talk to you all soon. As in, uh, We're going to try and do an episode about Lovecraftian mythology to work out what the hell might be going on in 6B. Aside from that, if there's anything that you'd like for us to cover during the hiatus, let us know. We don't know when 6B will air. They're filming now. The writers are done. Like, they're wrapped. The writer's room is wrapped, so that's kind of... Kylan Rambo is wrapped. Yeah, a few people are wrapped forever, mm-hmm. and yeah, and it's... They're going to start dismantling everything pretty soon, and I believe Karen oh, asked if we could have a piece of the, the Beacon Hills sign that's in our Twitter header, you know, the, the Beacon Hills high, high school sign. Yep. Jeff said we could have the whole thing if we pay for shipping, and honestly, I'm considering it. <laughs> oh my, I want something. Is there literally a way that we can ask, like, hey, if you're throwing some stuff out, we will pay for, like, a little gift basket of, like, completely random crap, like, stuff from... I'm, I'm sure we can. <laughs> ...sketches or something like that. <laughs> I would love something, so we'll see. I do. I have my map. I have one. I have one thing from set, so that's nice. Um, which is the map of the Danny has of the ley lines of Beacon Hills. Oh, I can't believe it's all going to be broken down. They're going to strike the set, which is the industry terminology of hmm. breaking everything down. And oh, sounds violent. Oh, how depressing. Anyway, we'll get back to you next time. Let us know if there's anything else you'd like us to cover in the hiatus. And, uh, yeah, we'll talk to you soon. So until then, bye-bye. Bye.